Father, we do gather to say thank you. Thank you for letting us gather. Thank you for letting us be a people. Thank you for letting us be a people underneath your word and underneath your spirit. Lord, under those two things that you have preserved and proclaimed for us, we come to you, Lord, with an expectant heart and yet a stubborn heart. So we ask you, Lord, to speak to us powerfully this morning. We ask that your spirit gets into the crevices, gets into the corners, gets into the dark places. We ask for your spiritual broom, if you will, Lord, to wipe away all of our sin and our stubbornness and let us see you clearly. Let us know you more. And we know, Lord, that we can be extremely difficult and obstinate. So we ask you, Lord, to push and to push hard that we may come and that we may be changed and that you may be glorified. We ask this knowing that you love it when we ask big things. So we ask this big thing from you today. And in your name we pray. Amen. If you were with us last week, we started a new series in Samuel. We've taken it to an Old Testament narrative. First and second Samuel, two books in the First Testament. Basically, these books are about the monarchy, about the new monarchy, the kingdom that is established in Israel with Saul and with David. And there is Samuel, who is a judge in this time, arguably the greatest judge in Israel, a prophet, a priest, and a judge. But the amazing thing that we saw last week and will continue this week is that all of this starts with the story of Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, and it includes a lengthy section on the second wife, Penina. So just understanding that the scripture that God gives us, which is going to give us the macro view of his monarchy and his kingdom, setting up the kingdom of his Christ, who will have eternal reign as king forever, starts with just real life. Not so much the real life in a sense of having two wives that we would have it here today, but the real life of pain and suffering and frustration and hopes and dreams and delayed dreams and broken hearts. Very briefly, the recap is, Elkanah loved his wife, Hannah. And one of the dearest things that she could do for him, the the dream of her young heart, since she was a maiden to the time that she now is married to man of her dreams, is to give him a son. A son, a Levitical son to pass on into even the priesthood to fulfill her desires. And she's barren and can't do it. And it overwhelms her. It creates anxiety. It creates depression. She's not eating. She's crying. It's difficult. Because he needs a son, because he needs children, and because it is the custom of the day, he takes a second wife, and her attitude is just not that great. She is there, she is just poking and prodding, and she is that thorn in the flesh, and you're like, you know that enemy that you have, an enemy within the gates? She does everything she can to say, oh, too bad, Hannah, so sad, I just had another one. And it is difficult, and it is overwhelming. And Hannah turned it over to the Lord. And she poured out, so we learned last week, the idea of pouring out our desires. God is a God of the desires. He put us in, he put them in us. But when she came to a place, and we left her, not with a sad face, but we left her with a pep in her step, her head held head high, her shoulders back, and his, she had found her joy. 
Had she been granted her desire yet? No, but she had found a way to release it. And she said, Lord, I, have, I come to you with open hands. If you would grant me my son, I'm going to give him back to you anyways. She had made a vow. We made a distinction between a bargain and a vow, but we're talking. She made a vow. Lord, even if you grant him to me, I will grant him right back to you. And when she came to that place of understanding that God is a good giver, she found her joy. This is where we're going to pick up today. We're going to pick up in a little bit here. But I want to, we're going to read the the second part of the text for ourselves. But that really is our first takeaway, is that God is a giver of great gifts. There's a wonderful passage in Matthew chapter 7. If you're taking notes, feel free to turn with me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask of him. Matthew, the disciple, is writing for us here, and he's given us context saying, we are basically selfish individuals. We are evil. Selfishness is evil. We are out for ourselves. Make no mistake about it. We are self-preservation at all costs. But even in that broken state, God has gave us his general grace that allows even broken people to say, if my son or my daughter asks for me for a fish, am I going to give her a snake? Oh, I'm going to give her the fish, and I'm going to give her the kind of fish she likes, whether it's walleye or it's perch, what she likes. That's broken us. That's what we would do. He goes, Do you understand how much more your heavenly father is interested in giving good gifts to those who ask? There's a big difference between religion and Christianity. And we got to grab this point here this morning. It'll set us up as we go. The religion gives us this context, and we fall into it often, this idea that we are here to give God a bunch of stuff. That God exists and we exist so God can extract stuff from us. Like some human king who's extracting taxes and who's extracting this and extracting that. So he can get what he needs from us. In Christ, in his son, he turned those tables around. We exist to get his manifold blessings. He brought himself to give himself as a gift to us so that we can experience eternal joy with him and praise his name forever. God is a giver of great gifts. God loves to give gifts. It is in his character, in his nature. James even talks about it, that all good gifts come from him. If you'd like to turn, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to continue on. It should be page 225 if you're using a Bible that's provided for you. In your seats. Starting in verse 19. This is Elkanah and Hannah. They rose early in the morning 
and they worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shoal and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And just one more verse. And now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word to us. 
Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped the Lord. And then they went back to their house in Ramah. In between the time where they had, where Hannah had given up herself to the Lord and before they went back, in this space where basically she had turned over her desires to the Lord and her desires were as yet unanswered, what did they do? They worshiped. So we're going to make some observations, if you will, our takeaway points. The observation number one is very simple and it's very clear. In our time of waiting for our desires, God wants us to worship. He will enable us to worship him and to praise him in the time of waiting. When we are in our time of waiting, let's use our time wisely and let's worship him. Isaiah said it, we sing the song, worship him in the storm, worshiping him in the time where it's not yet, the time of the not yet. But it moves quickly. They rose early in the morning, they worshiped him before the Lord, but then went back to the house at Ram and Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, because I have asked for him from the Lord. It is amazing when we can turn our desires back to God. When we come to the place where we have the open hand, how quickly many of those blessings come. So there's multiple points of learning here. We don't have time to get into them all. But partially the time of waiting, one of the reasons for the time of waiting is we're not ready. We would take it for ourselves. And God is protecting us. He is assisting us by delaying. It's like when we don't give the whole pot of candy to the kids. Trust me, Dad, I'll be okay. Give me the whole thing. I'm only going to have an appropriate amount. I'm going to give you one and we're going to wait. My parents probably should, maybe, I don't know. They don't come to my house and ask me how much candy we have in the house now. At some point, you're given the whole jar, and it's up to you. So one of the points is a time of waiting, but here, Hannah had come to her place where she had turned her biggest desire back to the Lord, and amazing, as so often happens, she's pregnant, and she has a son, and she names him Samuel. Because it means I've asked of him, of the Lord. God wants to give gifts. God wants us to receive the desires, but he wants them when they can help us. And she received her Samuel, and she named him that, which is a wonderful recognition. They move on. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord. So now they're going up. She's going up. They're ready to go up to take the annual feast. Now, Elkanah, there's a whole thing going on here. We've got to give a lot of credit to Elkanah because in the culture that he was in, she had just made a vow. She tells him of it. You know, I had made a vow to God that I'd give him back. Now, this is the woman that he loved. This was the firstborn son of the woman that he loved. Very important to Elkanah. And he had the right and he had the authority. It was basically if, you, if the wife had made a rash vow or a vow that really shouldn't be kept, or he didn't want it kept, he could have abolished it. And he could have said, yeah, we're not doing that. And she would have been free from that vow. But Elkanah, a man with a tender heart to the Lord, said, okay, we're going to do that. That was on your heart? 
And this is just a little marriage lesson, right? It's one of us is sometimes leading, the other one following, and it goes both ways. There are times where the one here, it was Hannah that said, Elkanah, this is a good thing. We need to give our firstborn son to the Lord at Shiloh. And most men here would have said, I don't think so. That's not really the normal plan. Trust me, honey. We're in prayer about this. This is what we need to do. And praise God. That's why we're reading the story, because Elkanah said, all right, honey, I hear you. I see the spirit working here. That's what we're going to do. So he sticks to his word. It's the first year. It's time to go. And he says, okay, it's the first year. We're back at Shiloh. Let's go. And she says, no, not yet. What she basically said is, I need to wean him. At 12 months or 10 months, whatever it was, the cycle, it might have only been four months old at this point, the cycle of the birth and the visitation at Shiloh, he said, it's time to go. It's not yet. It's not yet. I just need to wean him properly. He needs to feed off of his mother. He needs to bond. He needs to have that stability in the home. And then I will give him. I'll give him. I promise I'll give him, just not yet. Now, if we're going to know this story, we know how much this child means to her. That's one of those danger zones, right? I'm going to do it, just not yet. Sometimes, nope, we've got to do it. Let's do it early. Let's do it before we get attached. You know, let's, let's get this done. And Elkanah says, once again, okay. But remember to do as you have said. Let the word of the Lord be as we have said. There is a freedom that God gives. God did not say on this here and this day. He left it up to Hannah and said, you said you're going to give this child back. Use your own wisdom. You have freedom, but use it wisely. One of the comments I want to share with us here, it's an observation point. Many of us often get stuck in this phase. We get stuck in the intention of, I want to give it all back to the Lord. I fully intend to. I just need it now. I just need it for a season. I just need to wean either myself or the blessing in my life. I will give it to the Lord, just not now, just a little later. And life comes and life goes and 50 years comes and 50 years goes and we're still in the weaning period. And the time has just not yet come. Friends, if anything hits you, it hit me in the study of it. Let's pay attention to my life. And if the Spirit is speaking to you, what are we holding on to that we fully intend, just not yet? We'll get to more, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, our homes, our cars, our jobs, our careers, our dreams. She doesn't get stuck. He said, only do what's best for you, but make sure the Lord's word is established. And in verse 24, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah, and a flower, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord. She brought him up. Verse 26, and she said, oh, my Lord, as you have lived, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child specifically I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, basically from this day forward, he is lent to the Lord. She did it. 
she accomplished it. She did her word. Now let's take a look at what happens next. Because this is a young child, probably in the ages of three or four, almost for sure no older than five. So you're talking to three, four, five-year-old, probably more three or four, and she is now taking this child, and she is willing to give him and physically leave him here. So what would be her reaction? What would be yours and mine? The biggest desire of our heart, the child, the only child, the one we had, the one we needed to fulfill us, the one we need to raise, to bring up in our home, to play with, to laugh with, to sing songs with, to listen to them speak and to ask questions and to maybe play with brothers and sisters. What would we do if we then came and had to leave that child? Would it be fair to say that we would say, you know what, it might be okay to have a good cry? to go off in a corner and just have a good cry, just to let our hearts weep, it would probably. It would probably be reasonable. A big point for us today is when God gives us his gifts, with what attitude are we able to give it back? Is it the attitude of fine, here, or the, oh, I'm going to do it, but I don't know how. What did, what did Hannah do? Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lived, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed, and she said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord, etc., etc. And we had read it. What we go right into, this prayer is basically a song. It's where we get our psalms from. It's this idea that she was now praying a prayer to God in voice, in song, and very likely it even had melody to it. She was now worshiping in song. This is the longest recorded prayer of a woman in the scripture. It is full of amazing theology. But how does it start? It starts with, my heart exalts the Lord. Being able to give back God, her son, in exaltation. To me, that is a very amazing thing. I could have easily have understood a head down, sad, obligatory, frustrated. I didn't know it would be that hard. And, you know, we can even get past it and say, okay, she had a great attitude. It wasn't even an attitude. It was faith because look what she knew. The things that they knew, we, we don't understand the context. We don't really know what's going on. But this period of judges, this wasn't like she was taking him to this most amazing place. Oh, he was going to learn all about God's word. This is going to be great. He's going to become this amazing man of character. Look what she knew. That's why I read verse 12 in chapter 2. She's giving him back this guy Eli, right? The priest now there. Now the sons of Eli, so Eli had sons. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. Okay, it's one thing if you're sending your kid to London to the most elite prep school in the entire world, you know is going to turn out wonderful man, wonderful daughter. They've done it for 100 years. This is hard, but it is going to be a guaranteed amazing product. Think about taking your child and turning him over to this man who she had issues with in the first chapter, He thought she was drunk because they had all kinds of issues going on. He has his own kids, and his kids are worthless men. And now you're going to turn over your three-year-old. Here you go. We don't do that for preschool for a year. What do we do for preschool? 
Let me see. I want to do a review. I want to see how you're doing. I want to see how your kids are. Look at those kids. How are you doing with your own kids? I could see it over there, Elkanah. We're having a little, you know, the parent huddle that you have a little. You're observing things. You're having a little parent huddle. Did you see his sons? We can't leave Samuel here. He's as good as dead if he stays here. This place is a disaster. She is turning over her son to this situation, and she is going to leave. It wasn't naive. That was faith. God can use him here. God is above Eli. God is above it all. The Lord will bless my faith. And the Lord is the protector. So this is not just giving it up easy. This is giving it up in the key idea that this is a real issue. Would you not have imagined how easy it would have been right here? This is what I mean by getting stuck. If we walk there with Sam and we get there, how easy would it have been to say, listen, until they get their act together here, clearly God does not want us to give Samuel here. I mean, he wants us to give him. We're going to keep looking. We're going to keep looking for a better place, for better leaders, for a better situation, because God wants us to apply things in wisdom. We came with a full intention. We were going to give it. We were going to give our money. We were going to do it here, but clearly they're not going to use it well. We're going to wait, and we're going to find a more appropriate organization. We're going to take him home because clearly we can do better than this. If God wants a man raised for his glory, we can raise him better in our own home. It's not because I'm selfish in keeping. It's not because I'm trying to break my vow. I'm really trying to fulfill my vow, and we become wonderful rationalists of all things. But from a distance, God knows and God sees. It's our lack of faith and our lack of ability to trust in him. That's really where we end up a lot. We struggle. I want to read a passage. We struggle with giving things up. In our lives, I don't know what your core desires are. I can guess because I have them myself. We desire things We desire a certain job, a certain education, a certain spouse, children. We desire some time of retirement after we've worked many, many years and some time of leisure. We want things and we want them deeply. If you're not sure how deeply you want, think about how much you think about them and how many actions and activities go towards them. But one, the writer, the other disciple, Mark, says to us in verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What the writer was writing here is he was writing about life. That's why God gave us the story of Hannah. We're writing about life. We're writing about real life, the difficult life of living in faith for the gospel, for our King Jesus Christ. How can we live when we have these desires? How can we live when we want to heap them and we want to keep them? When we finally get something, how do we give it up? It's a nice theory, but practically, how do we do it? And the writer Mark here is saying to us, Please do it. I'm going to tell you something. 
I'm not going to tell you all the details, but I'm going to tell you this. If you try to seek and to save your life, the life that you've accumulated, the life that we've built, the desires we've gotten together, you will lose it. If you are willing to give it up and to lose it, you will gain your life. And how does that work out in the story of Hannah and Samuel? I'm going to tell you, here's how it works out. If she would have kept Samuel with her, very likely the story would have went like this. And she had Samuel and she raised him and we would have never even heard about it. Probably been a very normal, very decent life. She would have had to probably give an account to the Lord for all the missed blessing, the missed opportunity, a vow that was moved and shifted. But in the normal course of life, would have anybody been able to call her out really, truly, and said, I can't believe how wicked Hannah is. How ridiculous is that? No. It would have been a good life. It would have been she would have raised him up, she took him to Sunday school, taught him verses. It would have all been good. And we'd have never heard about it. What she was trying to do to live an amazing life, to live victorious, to live powerfully, live with purpose. She wanted a purpose. She wanted to live for her king and to deliver. Well, by giving up Samuel, what did she get? She created a life for her son that he has recorded in Scripture in the year 2011. We're here talking about him. We created a young man who really was a prophet, a priest, and the greatest judge, and he became the kingmaker for a nation that is still being talked about in the United Nations this week. All the news this week is still talking about this nation. And this man, Samuel, was the first one to create the first king in the nation that the whole world is still talking about. When we are willing to give it up and to trust God, he will give abundantly more. Another part of scripture says he will bless it a hundred times. When we wonder why we're not seeing the hundredfold blessings, when we're not seeing the ten times amazing miracles in our lives, a good reason would be we're hanging on to our Samuels. We've got them close, and we're living religion, and we're living our path towards Christ in a very, very conservative, safe way. Believe me, this is one of the hardest things I understand. But what allowed the amazing life was to let it go. If you're looking for a phrase, the phrase that hit me hard this week, it kept running through my head, was are we stewards or are we stealers? Not the Browns versus the Steelers, just, you know, Steelers. Are we there to steward the life of Samuel, our desires? Are we there to prop them up and to lift them up and to encourage them? Or do we take it and claim it for our own? Scripture says it this way, that we rob God. What would God do if we really tithed? I mean, really. Versus robbing him of what is due him would be amazing. It would be amazing. So how could she do this? Because we can't walk out of here, right? We've tried this. This is where it gets depressing. Okay, pastor, we're going to walk out of here. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, from now on, we're going to live this way. And by Tuesday, we're struggling again, right? We're, we're like, oh, maybe next week, you know, maybe next week. Obviously, the sermon wasn't powerful enough or we'd be getting this right. You know, it's all his fault anyways. So that's the issue. We struggle. 
Surely Hannah would have struggled. How, how come she didn't? How come she didn't? Because it was in her song. The answers are in her song. It is a song of theology. It is a proper theology of God's strength. Let's just walk through it briefly. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. Verse 1, she's giving joy to the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She understood that God is a God of salvation. He is a God of saving, of redeeming, of bringing things to pass. She trusted in that. She knew the majesty of the Lord. Look at the next two or three verses. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. There is nothing as safe. There is nothing as unique. There is nothing as majestic, as amazing, as holy, as pure, with no evil, with nothing negative, with all good. This is our God. No one should talk so proudly or arrogantly. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The actions of Penina and the actions of Hannah. My God knows my heart, and my God will judge righteously. Her theology is rock solid, and it was giving her strength. It was giving her a vision. It was giving her a path. And she understood that God is a God of great reversals. The great reversals we come, what we call a world, a fallen world, a world of injustice, a a world where the the people who rob, steal, cheat, step on others seem to prosper, and sometimes the Hannahs uh, suffer and the Peninas are prospering. There is a great reversal. It is coming because God is a God of justice, but he is a God of mercy and grace and and uh, ultimate fruition in these things. The bows of the mighty are broken. The ones who are on top are going to come down, but the feeble bind on strength. These are the big, if you have arrows, in my Bible, i got arrows down and arrows up. You know, things are going to change. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry, they have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she has many children as forlorn. The Lord kills and he brings to life and he brings down a shoal and he raises up. He raises up the poor from the dust, verse 8. He lifts the needy from the ash heap, and he makes them to sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. This is coming from Hannah's mouth. This is the way she's talking. So I have a thought for us. On our own, when we're giving up, would these kind of thoughts roll off of our tongue? Do we know God this way? Sometimes we can hear somebody else say it, and we can go, yeah, I agree with that. I I can agree with that. Say, tell me who your God is. Tell me. When you're driving in a car, when you're walking down the street, when we're just sitting outside, when we're talking, Ken, what would come out of our mouth? Who is my God? What is our theology of our God? Is he big enough? Is he true enough? Is he gracious enough? Is he loving enough that he will perform these things? If it comes out of our mouth, if it's coming out of us, it will direct our paths. It will Help us make decisions. This flowed straight from her right when she left her son. It was her theology. Verse 9. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off. Why did she need this? He will guard the feet. She knew. She was saying, Lord, you are a protector. You're going to protect me. You will protect Samuel. I've put him in this situation. You will protect him. 
If harm comes to him, it is because you've allowed it, but you have not allowed it in the end. Because what this prayer is saying is likely that it will happen in this life, that God will make the great reversals. He often does it in this life, but for sure and absolutely he will do it in the life to come. The now, very likely, and in the end, for sure. So even if it's not right now, even if Samuel would have looked and appeared to suffer hardship, she knew it would only be for a time and for a season because God is a great protector. And look at the prophetic part in 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken. She's confidence against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends. He will come and he will give strength to his king. When we're in God's spirit, when we are sitting there, this is a prophetic portion. She didn't know all of this. This wasn't some amazing deep revelation, but she is speaking and she gets that God is going to have a king. They're in a period of the judges and God will set his king and he will protect it. Samuel was going to be that kingmaker. And through the line of David, Christ himself would come to be king of kings and Lord of lords forever and forever. Amen. Observation for us. Hannah's knowledge of God's character allowed her to do the difficult thing and to turn back her desires, to give them back to God. Enjoy. So I had this visual, right, in my, in my mind a lot this week as well. I'm like, you know, sometimes, if you're like me, Monday mornings, I really love Sundays. I love worshiping with you. I love having a little family time. I love it. So sometimes, you know, my Mondays can be pretty intense sometimes. And Monday mornings, I am not always like, yeah, all right, here we go. Can't wait, honey. It's, I'm up. Let's go. Now, sometimes I'm a little like, ah, here we go. I said, really? Really, Stan? Here's what hit me. Really? Isn't this one of the jobs you want prayed for? Don't you want to provide for your children? Don't you want to be able to do good work? Don't you want the opportunity to interact with some really neat people and to do some things that are at times complicated and hard? Would I give, if I lost it, how devastated would I be? Would the thing that I've prayed for, the thing that I've been given, I gotta go to If I have a chance to write a check, if I do, the blessings that we've prayed for, we often give it back to God when we do in a way, I'm going to go to my job now. Versus, praise God, I get to go to the blessing. When the children are pushing us just a little further, no offense, Lance, just a little, little further, we say amen because this is the son that I prayed for. This is the son that I give anything for. Where's our joy? Where's our joy in the journey? We've prayed to God for our salvation. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have asked God to save your soul, to wipe your sin slate clean, and to take you with him as undeserving as you and I are to heaven forever? Right, raise your hand in your heart. Yeah, raise it up. All right, so hands are raised now. And then we say, man, this is hard. I've got to be a Christian, and I've got to do this. Where's the joy, my friends, in the journey? On a Monday morning, the job that I was asked for, the family that I've been given, 
the church that I get to fellowship with, my Savior is in heaven waiting for me and he sent his spirit in my heart, in my life, that I can say amen. Stan, why are you so happy? I'm glad you asked because God has given me all these things and I live joyfully giving them back. I confess to you, as I think you already know, this is a challenge because it shows our lack of faith and a lack of awareness and a lack of living in the spirit. Hannah did it. Hannah did it. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The world would be amazed if we live in joy, giving our desires back to him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we're going to need your help. We understand that. But we want to live powerfully for you. You've given us desires, Lord, we're going to ask for them. But Lord, help us be the ones that, like Hannah, name them. She named her son Samuel because she asked of of you. Whether it's our finances, whether it's our time, whether it's our career, whether it's our retirement, our spouses, our kids, the church, our life, our neighbors. You've given us, Lord, the desires of our heart almost always. And sometimes it's not now. Lord, let us joyfully, with praise to your name, sing a song. Let my life, and everyone here who wants to, Lord, let our life be a song to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.